0: Well, good morning. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Ben Hurd. I get to be the pastor here. You encourage this morning? I am hoping I get through this service. I'm just extremely moved this morning of just the, the darkness, but the light that shines through. And we have such great, true hope in Christ this morning. He is alive and well. Let me invite you to turn to... Isaiah chapter 9 with me. We're going to be looking at Isaiah for a short bit of time, and then we're going to be jumping to Hebrews. But as I open up the service this morning, I mentioned just just the disparity in the world. And it's crazy to think of how different the world is than it was in January 2020. Like doesn't that seem like light years ago? It was a different world back then, and, and I was reminded this morning, uh, or reminded this week, as I went to the doctors, to, to I was having some issues, don't worry, I don't have COVID, uh, but I was having these, these issues, and it struck me that, like, when I, when I walked in, I knew for sure, like, I have to have a mask on, like, who knows what these people around me have? I, like, I don't want to be exposed to that, and then it got me thinking, like, we didn't used to do that. Like, I never went to the doctor and thought I should have a mask on. Like, we have forgotten, I have forgotten what life was like before COVID hit. And with the pandemic has come this rising issue with depression. You know, before, they would say people would have, there was 8% of the population would have some kind of clinical depression. But since the pandemic, that has risen to about 33%. For all you non-math majors, that's one out of three people have some kind of depression symptom that the clinics would say you need some help on. 33%. One out of three of us is struggling with depression. And and just forget the pandemic. How, How many of us are just dealing with the issues of life? You know, sickness, cancer, broken relationships. Like we live in a world that is truly broken. And this week I mentioned I went to the doctor and I had these weird symptoms. And, th- and this is how despair and fear comes my way. I, I was having the- these moments of like dizziness. Like all of a sudden it would just strike me where I would have this like throbbing in my head and dizziness. And then I would feel completely heavy. And within a matter of just a couple seconds it was gone. And if you know me, I'm kind of tend to be... a uh, the, bo- the glass is half empty, <laughs> like the doom and gloom, and I'm like, for sure, I have a tumor in my head, and I'm going to die this week, like that's where I went to, like we can find ourselves just naturally going to a place of despair, come to find out I only had fluid in my ears, and I got some medicine, I'm feeling much better today, but for some of you, you, you're not feeling the joy, you're not feeling the light, you have family members who are in a dire place physically, I think of Dusty, who attends here with her husband Doug, and she hasn't been able to come for weeks, and she's been dealing with cancer for a very long time. So many of us have struggles that we're dealing with, strained relationships in our family that just don't seem to have an ending, loved ones who are far from the Lord. And many of us are dreading the holidays for it. For you, it's like, what's the point of Christmas? There's nobody to really spend it with. Certainly, we see the darkness around us, right? I think we would all agree that we need a wonderful counselor to intervene for us. And that really is the hope of Christmas, isn't it? Jesus, our wonderful counselor. We're starting a new series today entitled, He Shall Be Called. And it's based off of Isaiah 9-6 where we see this prophecy of Jesus and he's given these names. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to look today at Wonderful Counselor. Next week, we're going to look at Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And then on the 19th, we're going to look at the Prince of Peace. Praise God that he did not leave us on our own. And so let's look at Isaiah Isaiah 9 starting in verse 2. Follow along as I read it. of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Pray with me. Father, we need to be reminded this morning that in the midst of darkness, there is a great light. Oh, Lord, we have all the hope in the world that we need. You have shone bright on us. You have taken our sin. For those of us who have repented and placed our faith in you, you have taken our sin and put it as far away as the east is from the west. Lord, you, do no, you no longer judge us based on our past. But you judge us based on the righteousness of your son that you have placed on us. Lord, would you remind us that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. Lord, that he is reigning even now supreme. And we thank you for it. Lord, give us hope this morning. Give us encouragement. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before we dive into what does it mean that Jesus is our wonderful counselor, I think it's important for us to look at the context of this passage in Isaiah. You know, it's easy to to think of Christmas and to get kind of caught up in the wonder of it all, this little cute little baby in this cute little manger with angels singing songs. We can get caught up in the festivity of it all, the the gift-giving and the families coming together and all the food that we will enjoy over this time. And we can completely miss the context of this prophecy in the book of Isaiah and the true wonder of this baby that came to us 2,000 years ago. So turn with me real quick to the beginning of Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 1. Let's just get an understanding of what is this book written for? Uh, what's the background to this so that we can better understand like, the true reason why there was a great light that came in the midst of utter darkness? First of all, right there in verse 1, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So we see that this book is about the visions that Isaiah had during the days of these kings of Judah. So God was meeting with him. Isaiah was a prophet of God. Now don't be confused to think he was some kind of fortune teller or predictor of the future. No, he wasn't those things. A prophet of God was the mouthpiece of God. He came to deliver a message to the people straight from God. Now the prophecy of Jesus' coming actually begins in chapter 7. So now turn there with me. I'm going to read a large section here to give us a deeper understanding of what is going on in the midst of this time when this prophecy was given to Isaiah and delivered to the people. Isaiah 7, verse 1, follow along with me here. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, reason the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the art, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So there's great fear amongst God's people here. Verse 3 continues, And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shira Jashub. These are some fun names here. Your son at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to them, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of (laughs) firebrands. Love that. At the fierce anger of reason in Syria and the son of Remaliah, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Verse 7 goes on, thus says the Lord, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria and Damascus and the head of Damascus is reason. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people and the head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And then here comes the prophecy. So in the midst of this battle that's facing them, these enemies, this is what the Lord says. Verse 10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord, your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So, when we think of this baby that came, this was during a very desperate time for the Israelites. In fact, things don't go so well. The kings of Judah were not very good and neither were God's people. And eventually they were led into captivity, and they did not see the fulfillment of the prophecy in their time. In fact, if you know anything about the history of the Bible, in between Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew, the the first book of the New Testament, there is this gap of 400 years of silence. God did not speak through any kings. God did not speak through any prophets. It was a dark period and when things picked up in Matthew, the Jews are under the reign of the Romans and this was surely a dark time for them as well but when the time was right, Jesus came as a baby and so when Mary and Joseph looked into the eyes of their little child, they were looking at Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Does that blow your mind? Like when you stop and think, like we hold our little babies and and we just think how cute and how little. But they were holding the Son of God. Mind-boggling to me. And so let's jump into, what does it mean that Jesus is our wonderful counselor? First of all, let's consider, what, what does wonderful mean in Hebrew? That's what the Old Testament was written in. Now we, in the English language, we kind of abuse words, don't we? Like awesome, wonderful. I mean, we can, we can use it for many different things. Uh, you know, for instance, I got all A's. Well, that's wonderful. Or for some of my kids, I didn't flunk my class, my test. That's wonderful. Brian Kelly ditched Notre Dame, but the Irish hired Marcus Freeman. That's wonderful. Michigan is going to the, make the playoffs. Well, that's not quite so wonderful. Never mind. <laughs> we can use this word wonderful and just kind of throw it out there, and we lose the context of what wonderful means here. When we think of wonderful in the Old Testament, we are speaking of a different level. It means extraordinary, something astounding that causes intense amazement. It's something really good, but that's impossible to happen, but it it takes place. That's what it means when it says wonderful, not a vague word that we use in the English language. This is something that is utterly astounding. Now, some people want to separate this passage, this verse, and say that he shall be called Wonderful, comma, Counselor. But that's not the case. It, these two go together. He is Wonderful Counselor. So what does the word Counselor mean? That can have... Kind of a negative connotation in our society, isn't it? Like, I gotta go talk to a counselor. And somehow we've gotten our minds that that's, that's something that's not good. Dave Hills is a biblical counselor. We can think somehow something's wrong with us if we need a counselor. So that can have some negative things here. But this isn't referring to like a counselor to go to when you aren't doing well necessarily, it's not just like a, a school counselor. Or somebody just go who just listens to all your problems. This goes far beyond that. This is like the advisor who comes to the king. You know, the kings back then had counselors. These were very wise men who would come around the king. And when the king needed to make certain decisions, they wouldn't make it on their own. They'd go to these wise counselors. These people that the king needed, he was desperate to have these counselors. That's the counselor we're thinking of. So when we put these two words together, we are speaking that Jesus is this utterly amazing, wise advisor, counselor. One that has the answers to every question we could possibly have. He can help us in any situation. And he truly is the only one we will ever truly need. Now I want you to turn with me to Hebrews 4. We're going to spend the rest of our time in Hebrews chapter 4. This is arguably one of my favorite passages in scripture along with Romans chapter 8. As it just speaks of Jesus being our wonderful Counselor, follow along now as I read Hebrews 4, starting in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now within this passage here, I want to give three reasons why Jesus is our wonderful counselor. And the first reason is this. Our counselor understands us. Our counselor understands us look again at verse 15 for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are the reason why Jesus is a wonderful counselor is because he understands our struggles he understands why we give in to sin and temptation, why we fail, why we go into despair, why we are anxious. And it's such an amazing thing to ponder Jesus lying in a manger. I mean, did Joseph and Mary know who they were looking at? Did they have any idea what the end of his earthly life would look like? Did they know that he would grow up to be scolded by so many? So many religious leaders would throw him under the bus in the name of his heavenly father, no less. He was betrayed by his closest friend. Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever had anybody turn their back on you? Jesus fully knows what that feels like. In fact, when he was on trial, none of his friends stood for him. Everybody scattered. Peter denied him three times. Jesus was left all alone. You ever felt abandoned? You ever felt like nobody was there for you? Jesus knows exactly what that feels like. The people gave him a sham of a trial. They convicted an innocent man because they didn't know what to do with him. And so they hung him on a cross where he paid the price for the sins of every person who would ever believe. Does our Savior know suffering? Yeah. Have you ever been depressed? Do you remember what Jesus did when Lazarus died? John 11.35, if you're... Want to memorize the scripture? It says, Jesus wept. <laughs> he cried. Our Savior no sadness. You ever found yourself deeply anxious? You just can't get over something. It just spins around in your mind, causing great turmoil within you. You remember Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? So he thought about what he was about to face. He's in such turmoil that he is sweating drops of blood. Jesus understands your anxiety. (laughs) Have you found yourself in a hard, hard spot before? Remember that you have a Savior who completely understands, is tempted the same way that you are. He isn't someone who always says the right things but never understands. You ever have that? You ever have somebody? There's nothing worse than receiving, like, wisdom, quote, unquote, from somebody who has no idea what you've been through. You know, a person who acts like they know your pain and your trials, they know your financial burdens, and yet as you're sharing the financial burdens you have, they were born with a silver spoon and never knew what poverty looked like. Like they just don't quite understand what you've been through. Uh, this, we're right in the middle of a building project. Uh, sorry, that's for a different time. <laughs> a couple weeks ago, I, I met with a couple men uh, over an ongoing saga in my life. Just this issue that will not end. It just goes on and on and on. And I was being asked to do something that honestly I really didn't want to do. Uh, I did. I wanted no part to do with it. But what helped me come to a place to see the necessity to do what they were asking me to do is that we sat down and I was able to explain where I was coming from. And then what I heard back in return was an understanding of my situation. Like they understood what was going on. They saw what I was seeing. And then they were able to see that. And not just give me lip service, but they truly understood to to help me understand, okay, yes, this is what I need to do. Because I see that they understand where I'm coming from. Doesn't it make all the difference in the world when we can come to somebody who truly understands what we're going through? That's our Savior. When we come to Jesus with our temptations, our struggles, our trials, we can come with full trust that Christ was tempted in every way. He understands. He's been through it all and much worse than we will ever have to face. Take courage, Christian. Jesus isn't someone who has handed everything to him in life. Our counselor understands us. Look at the second part of verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Here's another reason why Jesus is our wonderful counselor. Our counselor knows the way to victory. Our counselor knows the way to victory. He was tempted in every way, yet what? What? He was without sin. It is absolutely true that we need a counselor who can understand us, right? We need that. We need people who understand what we're trying to communicate. But we don't just want sympathy from someone. We don't just want somebody who knows what we're going through but then does nothing about it. Imagine if Jesus only felt bad for us in light of our suffering, Imagine if he heard us and he just gave us a pat on the back and said, I'm sorry. What if he never actually died in our place for our sin? We're right in the middle of this fixer-upper. And so we're ending our rental and then getting ready to move in a couple weeks to our new house. And it is, it's exhausting, it's fun, it's crazy. We've been to Menards and Lowe's about 85 times uh, and if you're like me who don't fully know what you're doing, you go and get something, and then you come back and realize, "Oh wait, I need something else." <laughs> like that's the way it was. And this past week, we were looking for vanities. and I think there's a lot of uh, irony there <laughs> in vanity. Uh, so we go and we, we're at Lowe's, and sometimes it's just hard to find people to help you. And really Lowe's is honestly a good place. But if you go later in the evening, there's less people available. And so we're in the vanities. We're looking around for somebody to help. Nobody's around, so I go to the front counter. I'm like, we really need help with in the vanity section. Uh, come again. Nobody comes. I have to go back again, ask for help. Finally, this guy comes, and this is not his area of expertise. And every single question that we asked him, he did not know the answer to. <laughs> I'm like, this is not helpful. He understands that we need a vanity. <laughs> he understands, like, the struggles and the trials. And do you realize how expensive they are, too, for these little pieces of the wood? He understood that. He sympathized with us, but he he couldn't help us at all. That's not like Jesus. When we come to him with our trials and our struggles and our temptations and our sin, Jesus understands, but he also knows the way to victory. He also knows how to help us come to a place where we can be overcomers of what we're going through, through Christ. It's the very reason why he's given us his word, amen? This isn't a book that we should just only open up on Sundays. This isn't a book that's only for the preachers because the preachers are the only ones who can understand God's word. If he has given us his spirit, he has given us the ability to understand his promises. And if we are in the book, we don't know his promises. And according to 2 Corinthians, we know that all the promises find their yes and amen in Christ. It's through Jesus and what he did on the cross that makes these promises true. But if we're not opening it, then we're going to miss out on the victories that Christ has for us. In verse 14, it says that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus. Jesus is our great priest. High priest, do you know what separated Jesus from all the all the other high priests that ever lived? Year after year after year, what did they have to offer up? Sacrifices. But our great high priest, Jesus, the sacrifice that he came with was himself. And when he died on the cross, what did he say while he was dying? It is finished. We no longer have to succumb to sin anymore because the way to victory is through Christ. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful in what? To forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Our counselor knows the ways to victory. He can point us to where we need to go. And I love Romans 8, 27, arguably my favorite chapter in all the Bible. And in verse 27, it reminds us that Christ is interceding on our behalf. Isn't that a fascinating thing? Jesus isn't retired up in heaven. He's not sitting on a beach, drinking a cocktail, legs kicked up. He is pleading. individually, not for just us as a people, for you individually. He is interceding for you. Our counselor knows the way to victory. Look at verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here's the last reason why we have a wonderful counselor Our counselor invites us to come to him to find mercy and grace. Isn't this an amazing thing that we get to do? We can draw near to God's throne with confidence. The word confidence here, it means boldness. It means the idea of frankness. Being straight up without hesitation. We can approach him without delay. We can run to him. We don't have to sneak in. We don't have to cower in. We can come boldly, confidently before the throne. Are you not blown away by that? The person who matters most. The creator of all the universe. We don't have to be afraid to enter into his throne room. How many kingdoms and governments can you just walk in on boldly whenever you like? Could you just jump the fence at the White House? Go knock on the door and ask President Biden, hey man, I have this burden, I need you to take care of? How's that gonna go for you? <laughs> what other government in the world, what other kingdom would allow you to go straight into wherever that place would be to talk to the man in charge? How many places can you do that? And yet who matters compared to Jesus Christ, amen? We can come boldly to his throne in order to find what? The first thing we see here is mercy. In order to find mercy. Jesus is ready to offer mercy. You ever find yourself in a place where you've messed up and you feel like, man, I've I've slipped too far. Or maybe I I just need a few days before I can go to Jesus because he's not going to want to deal with me after what I did. He is done with me. That can't happen. I've done that with God. I've sinned and thought, I need a few days here before Jesus is going to want to see me. That was ugly what I did. I need to get some distance from that sin before God would have me back. Have you ever done that? Isn't that such a ludicrous thing to do if you think about it? Doesn't that sound like a work, a works-based salvation, a works-based faith as if I need to be good enough, we need to be good enough in order to earn God's favor? Can we earn God's favor? No. If we can't earn God's favor, then how could we lose it? If we can't do something to get God to love us more, then how can we do something bad to lose his love? It doesn't make sense. Because we're not saved by grace. Or we are saved by grace. We're not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And so when we think we have this idea that we've messed up too bad to go to him, what we're saying is that my salvation is dependent on my works. And scripture is very clear. No, it's not. It's based on grace. And so when we screw up, when can we go to the throne? By the way. Maybe you find yourself here this morning, heavy with sin in your life that you need to repent of and confess. And you've kept your distance from God because you just think that He is disgusted with you. Can I just remind you that His mercies are new every morning. You don't have to carry that burden anymore. You can lay it down. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Do you need mercy? You can come to the throne of grace with confidence. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. The very fact that I see you here physically today is a sign of his mercy. deserve hell, don't we? We deserve eternal suffering. And He has given us His mercy. So children of God, if you've repented and placed your faith in Christ, you can go to Him today. You can go to Him the minute you screw up. You can go right to Him. If you're in need of mercy, it says you can go before the throne of grace with confidence. He also gives us Grace. Not just mercy, but grace. If mercy is not getting what we deserve, then grace, on the other hand, is when we get what we don't deserve. And what is it that we don't deserve? (laughs) So much, right? We don't deserve anything good. In fact, listen to what James 1:17 says. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Everything that is good comes from God. Have you found encouragement in a dark time? That's God's grace. Have you found financial help just when you need it? It's God's grace. Has God answered a prayer for something you've been praying for for a lot, long time? Again, that's His grace. And so when you find yourself in need of grace or mercy, do not fear. Do not be scared. Don't wait. Run to the throne of grace in order that you may find help in time of need. Whenever you're in a place of need, what should we do? Run to the throne. One reason why we don't find mercy, one reason why we don't find grace is because I I think we hesitate to run to him. Sometimes I think we think God is too busy for us. God's so much bigger than that. He's not too busy for you. He's not tired of you coming to him. Do you remember the widow who just... Over and over again, the parable just went and asking for help until finally, like, they were sick of her. And finally, they gave her what she wanted. And what did Jesus say? Come to me like that. Don't. Stop. He doesn't get sick of you. Jesus doesn't get irritated with us. He doesn't get annoyed with you like we do with each other sometimes, right? Isn't that an amazing thing? Think about that. Jesus isn't, There's no gasp with Jesus. He doesn't throw his hands in the air and turn away. He doesn't give up on us. That's how merciful and gracious our Savior is. He loves you. He wants you to go to him. His hands are open. Go to him. So as you go through this christmas season as you ponder the little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger remember he's your wonderful counselor he came into the world he wasn't born into riches he was a carpenter who lived a simple life he was tempted in every way so he understands what you're going through but yet he's without sin so he knows the way to victory He can help you through your darkest times. And don't forget, believers in Christ, He invites us to run to the throne of grace, to receive mercy, to find grace in our time of need. We don't have to come with our resume. Because Christ's resume has been given to us. So let us run to our wonderful counsel. Let's pray. Father, just freshly reminded of your grace in my life mercy. Great is your faithfulness to us, Lord. And I do pray for those who are in need of counsel this morning. Would they be reminded that you are our wonderful counselor. Lord, like a a father of a young child. Who loves their child relentlessly. Lord, that's the way you love us. None of us would ever turn our little children away from us because of what they've done. And Lord, you don't turn away your children. We don't have to hesitate. We don't have to wait. We don't have to get ourselves together. We can come boldly, confidently. Whenever we are in need of mercy or grace, we can come to you Oh, Lord, would we be reminded of that for those of us who are in despair, who are afraid to come to you for whatever reason, who think that you're this God with this big hammer. Would you help them to see that, yes, you are the Lion of Judah, but you're the Lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world. You freely offer mercy and grace to those who have repented and placed your faith in you. God, would you encourage us this morning. Lord, would you remind us this season of what you have done for us and what you are doing, the very fact that you intercede for us in our darkest times, that you don't get annoyed, you don't get frustrated, you don't get irritated. Lord, I don't understand how you do it. But that's what makes you God. And we praise you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: Amen many reasons to praise our God this morning. Um, Lord. And as we uh, continue, as we get into worship in just a few moments, we're going to um, practically just throw up some action steps that we can commit to this week um, that Ben has already kind of touched on. just want to reiterate this morning. Uh, the first thing that we can do is to memorize that passage that we've read. I'm not going to read it again, but Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. Um, and then, secondly, to to read John, fourteen, uh, It talks about uh, God being our, our Jesus being our wonderful Counselor throughout that whole Scripture. Um, feel free to read that this week. And then, thirdly, run to Christ promptly. Um, it talks about in that in that Hebrews four fifteen through sixteen passage to let us run with confidence and draw near to the throne of grace. And it's so easy. It's been talked about. It's so easy to to feel caught up in our sin and, and not feel worthy to come to Christ, um, to come to Jesus as our high priest and for forgiveness. But he says, come to me promptly. And then secondly, come to, um, run to run to Christ confidently. Confidence drawing near to the throne of grace, knowing that he has the power to save, he has the power to forgive. And so we're going to stand and sing one last song this morning. Again, of just of praise God for his love for us and who he is. <laughs>